All right, let's get into the Word. Are you ready? All right, so we're, we're shifting gears into, uh, we've been in a sermon series uh, about first things first over the last several weeks, and today I want to talk to you about the red letters, the words of the King, the Word of the King. Amen? How many of you have red letter Bibles? Anybody? Where Jesus' words are in red. Now, I heard of one man, he, he made a Bible commentary where his comments were in the Bible, and he put his letters of his commentary in red. And I said, no, 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 no. Yours aren't as important as Jesus. Amen. When we have the words of Jesus, we're reading something that is very, very important. Not all Bibles are red letters. In fact, this morning I was in my office looking through my Bibles looking for a red letter, and I don't have very many of them. Most of my um, uh, prints are all in black, but I did find one, the old, good old Thompson chain reference, King James red letter Bible. Anybody have one of those? That's a good Bible. And uh, it, it does have the red letters in there. Those red letters indicate the words of Jesus Christ, and those are vital and important to us. It really is. And we as a church are about to embark. Now, we're going to go through several sermon series over the next several months. We're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount and a lot of different things that Jesus taught. But we are going to focus in on the letters, uh, the words of, of Jesus. The words of Jesus matter greatly. They really, really do. They, they are of great weight and great importance to us. We as the followers of Jesus need to be acquainted with his word. Amen? There's several marks historically. If you go back and look at the culture of discipleship, which Jesus, in his day, he lived in a culture of discipleship. John had his disciples, right? Jesus had his disciples. Paul was a man who was a disciple of another man named Gamaliel. It was a, the, the, the Jewish culture, the Hebrew culture was a culture of discipleship. That's where the word rabbi comes from. It was a teacher who had a following, and those followers were known as disciples. And historically, uh, when you go and look back and study what it meant to be a disciple in the historical context, there are five very distinct things, and I'm not going to give you all of them, but one of those distinct things is very, very important, and we need to grasp this, this is what I want to get across to us today, is that a disciple knew the words of his rabbi. They would memorize the words of their rabbi. Amen? And I want to challenge you as a disciple of Jesus to begin to memorize his words. All right? Get you some note cards and maybe get you a red pen, right? And write out verses of Scripture with the teaching of Christ. The doctrine of Christ is vital. It is important for us. If we don't understand the words of Christ, if we don't have and hold and possess the words of Jesus, we will not understand this book. We believe what the Bible says, which it says that this book in its entirety is inspired by God. We're not a church that just reads the New Testament. We're, we, we read the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament together. You need to understand that the, the first century church, for the greater part of the first century, the only scripture that the church had was the Old Testament. And so when they would come together and read the Word of God in their gatherings, in their meetings as churches, they would read the Old Testament, right? We're blessed and fortunate today to live in an age where we have the New Testament all together in a canon of scripture. We have the Old and the New together. Key for us to properly interpret scripture is to be able to read it through the lens of the words of what Jesus Christ taught. Does that make sense? So that, that's where we want to go as a church. And we, we are going to get very, very familiar. I want a church that knows what Jesus taught. Amen? I want Christians that know the word of life, the word of truth. And so we're going to lay that foundation over the next several months. We're going to go through and look at what Jesus said, what he taught, and what that, what that means to us, the significance of the words of Jesus Christ. All right, so red letters. Uh, I use this verse a lot. My mentor, Dr. Van Gill, in Bible college, is a man that I had a 20-year relationship with after Bible college. He drove this scripture into my heart. And I believe that this scripture, this verse that we're going to look at, one verse, and then we're going to read it in context of, of almost 20 verses. But we're going to look at this one verse. And I believe that this one scripture is one of the most important scriptures when it comes to proper biblical hermeneutics. What does that mean? 
hermeneutics. It, it's a fancy term for the way that we study Scripture. We took a class in, in, in Bible college called hermeneutics, and it was a class that taught us the proper way to study God's Word. Timothy says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, right? The Bible says that we should rightly divide, not, not just haphazardly. Uh, we, we don't approach it with, with uh, human tools or human reasoning. We need to use biblical, biblical hermeneutics. In other words, the Bible teaches us how we are to read it, how we are to understand it. And so I believe that this scripture is one of the most important scriptures when it comes to biblical hermeneutics, us having an understanding of how to rightly divide, how to rightly understand the word of God. It is John chapter 5, verse 39. These are the words of Jesus. These are in red. He says, you search the scriptures. And, he's, and by the way, Jesus is talking to the religious elite, right? He's talking to the Pharisees who are studied, versed. Many of these people have memorized the Torah, which is a fancy way of saying the Old Testament. It's the Jewish term for the Old Testament, right? Many of these people that Jesus is talking to have the entire Torah memorized. The books of Moses. Can you imagine memorizing Leviticus? These men that Jesus is talking to in this passage have memorized. They are well-versed in the Word of God. And what Jesus is about to say shows us we can be well-versed in the Word and miss it. I think it was Andrew Murray. He said, I'm paraphrasing it, but he basically said, what a waste is much knowledge of Scripture in a carnal mind. We have to be led by the Spirit of God. We need a heavenly mindset, a spiritual mindset, it's a, a, a brain that's been uh, led and guided by the Holy Spirit himself, right? Jesus said the Holy Spirit, these, these are important words coming from Jesus, right? He said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He will lead and guide you into all truth, right? So we need our minds to be guided by the Holy Spirit to properly understand the word of God, okay? So you search the scriptures for in them... You think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. What Jesus is saying here is that when the scriptures speak, they're speaking about me. Right? Every time we read the Bible, we need to understand that, that the scriptures are telling us something about Jesus. Every book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, go through all of the, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. You can go through the historic books, and they're pointing us towards Christ. Go through all of the prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and all of these prophets, Hosea, all the minor prophets. They're speaking of Jesus. Right? Go, go through the Song of Solomon. It's speaking. The poetic books, Psalms and Proverbs, they're speaking of Jesus. When it talks about wisdom, it's talking about Jesus. He is the personification of all wisdom, right? So every book of the Bible is speaking of Jesus. The, the gospel is obviously speaking of Jesus. The, the book of Acts is pointing us to Jesus. The epistles are, are pointing us to Jesus. The book of Revelation points us to Jesus. We did a series this, this year, earlier this year, uh, about the book of Revelation, and we looked for the revelation of Jesus in the book of, of, of Revelation, right? We didn't look... For the atomic bombs, we didn't look to see what nations were in there. We looked to find Jesus and to figure out what the book revealed to us about Jesus, his kingdom, and his purpose. So that's the way we need to approach all Bible study. What is this teaching me about Jesus? One of the things that Dr. Gill taught me, he said, he said this, you're not, if you've done a Bible study and you haven't learned something of Jesus, you haven't really done a Bible study. That's what Jesus is talking about here, all right? We lifted one verse. I want to go back now, and I want to put that one verse into context. John chapter 5, I want to begin to read in verse 31. And bring your Bibles. Bring your Bibles. Bring your highlighters. Bring your notebooks. Make your pastor happy. We're about to get into Pastor Appreciation Month next month. You want to make me happy? Bring your Bible to church, all right? John chapter 5, verse 31. 
If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There's another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he, was born, he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He's speaking again to the Pharisees. He was the light burning and shining. He, I'm sorry, he, he was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. And the, the Pharisees rejected, he did mighty works, miracles. Healed blind eyes, healed, healed lepers, right? Walked on water, turned, turned uh, multiplied bread, turned water into wine. Many, many miracles that he did by the power of God and the religious people that were looking for Messiah missed it, right? <clears throat> so where are we at? Let's see here. We're in uh, verse 37. The Father himself who sent me has testified of me, and you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Now, this is a major blow that Jesus is delivering here. Uh, from from a, uh, a perspective, you have to understand, these, these are Pharisees. These are men that claim to understand the things of God represent God himself. And, and Jesus says to them right here, you have never heard him or seen his form. In all of your religious practice, you have missed God. That's the blow that Jesus lands right there, that verse that we just read. That, that's a heavy hit for somebody who has invested their identity in being a representative of God, close to God, under, a, 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 a master on all things God, an expert, right? And Jesus said, you, you are way, way off. This is a major attack really on, on who they are, right? You don't have his word, his word abiding in you, he says, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. And here's that verse in the context. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. He's saying, you guys are studying the scriptures and you think that these things are giving you life. You're totally missing it. They're testifying of me. You have to come to me if you're going to experience the life of God. Verse 40, but you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I've come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. You've studied Moses. You've put your trust and confidence in all of the writings of Moses. And Moses is shining a great light on you, saying you are missing the mark. That's the accusation. That's the blow that Jesus is leveling here. Verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The words of the king. At the end of the day, the word that matters is the word of Christ. What has Jesus spoken? That settles all of it. 
Everything we really need to know about God is revealed in Christ. All truth, right? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It was all in him. Again, I, I want to emphasize the fact that all of Scripture speaks of Jesus. There are, in, 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 in many ways, and one, one of those ways is, is prophecy. There are 333 estimated prophecies in the Old Testament foretelling the coming of Jesus, right? And it starts from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is one of the, the it, it's, it's, it's the first what's called messianic prophecies or prophecies of Messiah, who Jesus was, in Scripture. And it's at the moment of the fall of Adam and Eve, when they fall into sin, God preaches to them Christ. That he was going to, that, that Eve was going to bear a child. There, she was going to have a seed. And that the seed of the serpent would have enmity towards her seed, but that seed would ultimately be a deliverer. That the, the seed of the serpent would bruise the heel of her seed, but that her seed would crush the head of the Satan. That, that's from the very beginning. And then all through Scripture, Isaiah and all these prophets, and David in the Psalms, they, they prophesy and speak of Jesus Christ. And then in shadows, prophecies one way, but then in, in shadows. And just a, a few examples, Isaiah uh, talks about a virgin con- conceiving, right? Micah 5.2 talks about Bethlehem being the place where he would be born, right? Daniel, the, the, the Daniel, the seven, what's known as the 70 weeks prophecy found in Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 26, gives the exact date that Jesus would stroll in on Palm Sunday and present himself as the king of Israel. That, that's how, and that was written some a couple hundred to 400 years before Christ comes on the scene. Daniel prophesies under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the exact date of Christ's return. And it, it's from, and you, you can track it from the going forth of the, the decree to rebuild the city, which, uh, which is when Artaxerxes gave letters, gave his word, the word of a king. We're going to come to that before we get done with this message today. But Artaxerxes gives his word to Nehemiah that that gives him authority to have all of the supplies that he needs to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city of his people from its ruins. And from the date that, that's a historical date you can find in the Encyclopedia of Britannica, or if you don't use that anymore, you can Google it. You can find the date when Artaxerxes gives that decree to Nehemiah. And if you track it according to Daniel's words, it's the exact date where Christ rides in on, on, uh, in the week of Passover. Come, as people were coming in to celebrate Passover, Jesus rides in and presents himself on that Palm Sunday as the Prince of Israel, fulfilling Daniel's exact date prophecy. He was born of a virgin, fulfilling Isaiah 7, 14. He was born in Bethlehem of Ephrata, fulfilling Micah 5 and 2. He rode in on the colt, the foal of a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 9, 9. And not only did he fulfill those that are very familiar, those are very familiar prophecies to us. Uh, If you read Christmas cards at all, you know those prophecies. But not only did he fulfill our Christmas card prophecies, he fulfilled all of the 333 other prophecies about him. The scripture points to Jesus. Not only that, but in types and shadows, Joshua was a type for Christ. The, the serpent that, that was lifted up, Moses lifted up in the wilderness, was a type of Christ's death upon the cross, right? There are all these types and shadows. The whole of scripture points to Jesus Christ. So these Pharisees are familiar with all of these scriptures. I, I met a Jewish doctor one time, and Orthodox, very devout Jew, knew the scriptures. And you know what I did to preach Christ to them? I used the, his scriptures, the Old Testament prophecies, and I preached Jesus to him. Right? And if you look in the New Testament, that's what's happening. Right? You remember Philip, when he comes along, he finds this Ethiopian eunuch for whatever. I guess he was, Philip was out on a jog or whatever he was doing. But he's running beside this chariot. 
And there's this eunuch in the chariot. He's reading the Old Testament scriptures. He's reading the book of Isaiah. And he says, hey, buddy, do you understand what you're reading? He's like, how, how can I understand this unless somebody explains it to him? And the Bible says right there at the text that he was reading in Isaiah, he began, which is Isaiah 53, he began to preach Jesus from the Old Testament scriptures. Right? There, there's a story of this, this chapel over in Europe that David Cook used to tell us about. He went to Europe to visit this, I forgot the name of the chapel, this beautiful chapel. And he said on the back wall, there was this beautiful picture of uh, Christ painted there. St. Paul's Cathedral, is that where it's at? So it's, this is in London then, St. Paul's Cathedral. I didn't know that was where it was at. So I guess at St. Paul's Cathedral, there's this picture of Christ on the back wall of the sanctuary. And, and going down the side walls, there are portraits of all of the apostles and all of the prophets and all of them. Whoops. Sorry about that. Thank you, Scotty. Sorry. We're going to baptize people here in a minute. <laughs> Some of y'all got baptized on the front row. Y'all are, by the way, y'all, if you're brave enough to sit in the front row, you're in the splash zone. And I'm not talking about the bottles of water talking about the preacher. But if all of those portraits of the apostles and the prophets are pointing towards Christ on the back wall. Because Jesus is the hope of the apostles and the prophets. All of the word of God points to Jesus. So this is why I say if we're going to properly understand God's word, we need to understand the words of Christ. And sadly, most Christians don't understand the words of Jesus. They don't know. They're not familiar with the words of Christ. It's funny when you get around people and you start talking about the Bible, you start telling stories about uh, Peter cutting off a man named Malchus's ears. They're like, that's in the Bible? That's in the Bible. I'm talking about 40-year veterans of the church that don't know what's in the Bible and don't know the words of Christ. Back when I was a younger pastor in Texas, we used to play a game in our small groups called Who Said It? And we would put quotes of Einstein and quotes from the Apostle Paul and quotes from you know, historical figures and quotes from all kinds of people. And we would put quotes of Jesus in there as well. Who said it? It was an exercise to realize that we need to acquaint ourselves with the words of the one that we claim to follow. We need to be able to discern is this the voice of Christ or is this the voice of another? Right? Didn't Jesus say, my sheep will know my voice and they will not listen to another? We need to know the words of Jesus. We need to be well acquainted with his words. We need to have a firm grasp on the doctrine that Jesus taught. No doctrine is healthy doctrine if it doesn't line up with the things that Jesus taught. Amen? So all scripture, I, I, I want to wrap up this thought and then we're going to move on. All scripture points to Christ. Next point I want to make is this. How many of you have, this, this is a, 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 a something. So I was in Daniel and Revelation. It was my senior year in Bible college. Went into Brother Van's class. He taught, taught that class. And Brother Van starts, first day of the, of the semester, he starts asking us this question. Now we're all seniors at this point, except for Rachel, who I made take the class with me. Is her is her first semester semester no first semester she's in the Bible class with and it's Daniel and Revelation almost everybody in the room is a senior so Brother Van asked this question he quotes Revelation to him that has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says and then he asked the question how many of you have spiritual ears we are all seniors so if we do not raise our hand that cannot be good. We've been in Bible college for three years, and if we've been in Bible college for three years and cannot discern the voice of God, something's wrong. So everybody in the room raises their hand. And so he begins to ask the question, so what does the Spirit speak? What is it, what's the Spirit saying? What's the Spirit saying? And he did it in a way that made all of us begin to question our confidence. And then he read us the Scripture. John 16, verse 13 through 14. These are red letters. However, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. And he will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. When the spirit speaks... It's going to tell us something of Christ. 
Isn't that what Jesus just said? When he speaks, he's going to take what's of mine and declare it to you. And he will glorify me, Jesus says. So when the, we need to understand this. When we're in the word and the word of God is speaking, it's declaring something to us about Christ. And when we're in prayer and we're seeking the face of God and we're in positions to discern, when we hear the voice of the Spirit, it's going to declare something to us about Jesus. Amen? All right. Is that settled? You think I'm teaching good so far? You think we're aligning with Scripture? That's important. It's important. That's good, good foundational stuff for what I want to get across to us today. Jesus came to represent God to us. Hebrews 1 and 3 said that he is the express image of God. He is the exact representation of God, right? Look at what this passage says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, if our gospel is veiled, listen, the gospel was veiled to those Pharisees that Jesus was talking to. They did not comprehend the gospel of Christ. He says, if, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, at least the light, check this out, of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. We preachers tend to get off on preaching about ourselves. Look at me. Look at what a great job I'm doing of being a Christian. Like We, we get way off on that. Because it ain't about us, and we are all of us doing a pretty poor job. In all of our best efforts, we are falling short. We talked about filthy rags and what that means last week. Our self-righteousness doesn't measure it up. Amen? We can't preach ourselves. There is no hope in us. We preach Christ and ourselves servants for his sake. That's our position as ministers, all of us, every single one of us in this building. That has to be our position because you need to be a preacher. You need to go to your workplace and preach. You need to go to your household and preach. You need to go into your neighborhood and preach. You need to go on a mission and preach. Amen? You're a preacher. You know, some of the greatest preachers in the Bibles were the common saints. One of the great terms for preaching in the book of Acts is, is gossipia, to gossip. It says they went preaching the good news about Jesus. They went gossiping the good news about Jesus. You need to use your great gift of gossip to the glory of God. Because we all good at it. Come on, let's be honest. We like to talk. Talk to the glory of God. Brag about what Jesus has done. Brag about how he lived on this earth as a sinless man. Brag about how he died on a cross for our sins. Brag about how he was in that grave for three days, but on the third day he got up out of that grave and he conquered death, hell, and grave and every one of our enemies. Amen. You know, you, you ought to feel sorry for the devil. Jesus disarmed him. He took all of his ammunition, and he took the keys to his house. We give him way too much credit. He's defeated. I'm off, I'm off topic here. Let's get back on here. We're not preaching ourselves. We're preaching Jesus. Verse 6, for it is God. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to get the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, the same God who said, let there be light, has shined the light of his Holy Spirit into our hearts so we could get a glimpse of the face of Jesus Christ and peer his glory. Isn't that powerful? It is the God of creation who shined the light in your heart so that you could be saved today. Here's the point that I want to make from that. God was revealed how? 
in the face of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, the, the church reformer, he's known to have said this. He said that if you want to see God, you have to look in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reveal what God is like to every single one of us. If we're going to grow in our faith, we have to glimpse Jesus. He has to be the centerpiece. He has to be our focus. He has to be our all in all. It has to be about him. It has to be. How does faith come? It's a miraculous thing. It, 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 God does it. I, I believe that we are, are pretty inept at helping in any way when it comes to the work of our salvation. Basically, the only, the only power we have to do in that process is throw our hands up and say, I surrender. I give up. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm going with Jesus. That's about all we can do in, our, in the process of salvation, surrender and yield to the mighty hand of God. It's a work of God. The Bible says God has given to every man a measure of faith. If God hadn't given you the faith, there's no way that you could believe. God is active in our salvation. He is not passive. God is doing everything that he can to save you. Stop running. Stop fighting him. Stop kicking against him. Turn around. Throw your hands up. I give up. He's done it all. It's his work, and it's by faith. And how does that faith come? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing, we know this, we're very familiar with this translation, hearing by the word of God. I like the way that the ESV reads it. Or I've got the Amplified, actually, in my notes, the ESV as well. But listen to the Amplified. Faith comes by hearing what is told, and what is heard comes by preaching of the message that came from the lips of Christ, the Messiah himself. In other words, faith is coming when we're hearing the words of Jesus. If we'll set our hearts to receive, hear, meditate, take hold of the words of Jesus, that's how faith comes to our life. It's through the word of Jesus. It's through the word of the king. I, I, I joked a little bit about, you know, sometimes last Sunday, I think it was, I, I joked a little bit about sometimes I feel like Jesus, he, Jesus made that statement. He said, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you're not doing what I told you to do? Right? Why do you keep calling me pastor when you came to marriage counseling and you keep cussing at your wife? <laughs> Why do you come to counseling when we know you're going to go do what you wanted to do anyway? Right? That's part. Not, not everybody, it's, that's just part of it. Not, not everybody responds that way. There are a lot of great people who receive the word of God and receive instruction. But it, it is, it's frustrating as a pastor when you, want to, you, you know what people need to do to get healthy. You give them counsel and then they just plunge right through to their destruction. It breaks your heart. These, this is the context. I want to read this passage. This is the context of, of those words from, from Jesus. Matthew chapter 7. And we're getting pretty close to, to done here. So if you're going to be baptized, I'm going to dismiss you right now. Now, not those who want to get to lunch early. Seriously, those who are going to be baptized. If you're going to be baptized right now, I'll dismiss you to go get ready. But listen to this. Matthew chapter 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise master or a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Look at this. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Je Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Look at this. For he was teaching them as one who had 
authority, not as the scribes or the religious leaders. So even the scribes, even with all of their grasp, these Pharisees, scribes, these religious folks in the Jewish culture who, who had firm grasp on knowledge of Scripture, they didn't stand and speak with authority. So the people are, that, that's one of the things that astounded people when they heard the teaching of Jesus because he spoke as somebody who had an authority. Amen? And I, I want to encourage you in this. You have authority as well. God has entrusted us with authority. How, how do we access that? You know how you access the, the authority of God? It's by hearing the word of God and obeying it. And then when we declare it, we declare it with an authority. I love what uh, Pastor uh, David Cook, he was uh, the Bible college, the president that I went to, and he taught my homiletics class, another fancy term. Homiletics is the art of preaching. How do you put messages together? How do you deliver those messages? So Brother Cook taught my homiletics class, and in that class he was asked this question, Brother David, is it okay for me to, if I hear a message that I really like, is it okay for me to take that message and preach it? Here, here was Brother Cook's, I mean, right out of his pocket. He just pulled it right out. Didn't have to second, didn't have to think about it or anything. He just pulled this, this out, and here's what he said. He said, when you hear a message that inspires you, here's what you need to do. You need to take it home, and you need to meditate on it. You need to study it. You need to apply it to your heart. And then you need to learn to live it out. And once you have lived it out, it is yours to preach. I think that's perfect. Are we declaring a message that we ourselves are not living? I'm not saying that we have to be perfect. None of us will ever be perfect. But are we pressing for the prize of the mark? of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? Are we pursuing after God? Are, are we passionate about the things of God with every fiber of our being? Are we in pursuit of Jesus? Because if we're not, our words will be hollow. If, if people know the sincerity of your heart towards the things of God, they will overlook all of your flaws and your sinful behaviors, and they will receive the word of Christ. And I think a great part of that has to do with the grace and the mercy of God. Part of the beautiful thing about God using us flawed, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And as David Cook said, we are cracked pots. We have the glory of God in these cracked pots. And part of the beauty of this thing of the gospel is that God uses these cracked pots for the glorious message of the gospel to shine through. You don't have to be perfect to be a preacher. Thank God, or I would not have a microphone in my hand today. Sincerely pursue God, and you will step out and you will speak with authority. When you have received God's word in your heart, when you have learned to walk in obedience, and by the way, the way that we end up deceived is not for a lack of the word of God. It's because, as James chapter 1 says, when the word of God was available to us, we rejected it. And we become self-deceived. Don't sit through church every Sunday and reject the word of God. You will come to a place where you are deceived if you, if you live that lifestyle. Take the word of God and learn how to apply it. There's going to be some things that I, you may hear come across this pulpit from me or from another preacher, and it may be something you need to just dismiss. But when the word of God is clearly articulated, when the word of God is coming forth and you're receiving it into your spirit, you will grow and flourish and take that home. I want to encourage you, go home and study. Listen, there, go, go back. Our archives are chalked full of teaching of the scripture. Pastor Bill, myself, our guest ministers, people that have come through here, you, you get good word every week in this church. Go back and listen to those archives. Those are there for your benefit. Go study those out. There's a, there's a whole, I walked through the entire book of Hebrews, going back to 2020, I think it was. The entire, teaching through every verse in the book of Hebrews is there online. Go access it. Last year, we taught through the entire book of Philippians. 
sermon series on multiple topics. Go and study those things. Get a hold of the Word of God and apply it to your heart and let it change you. And what will happen then when you begin to speak God's Word, I believe this. When we take the Word of God and we begin to take it as our own and we begin to live that out and it begins to have its transformative effect on our lives and we are changed day by day. Listen, I'm not perfect, but I'm a, a lot further along than I was 23 plus years ago when Jesus got a hold of me. 26 years ago, man, I'm getting old. When Jesus got a hold of me and saved me, God has done a work in me and he's still working on me. He's still changing me and it's through the washing of his word as I listen to the word, as I study the word, as I read the word, as I meditate on the word, it has a transformative effect, a cleansing effect on this old dirty man and it changes me and it makes me new. And as you go through that process, you will begin to be a person who will step out and you will speak the word of God. And I believe this, the word of God, when we speak it as believers, as followers of Christ, when we speak God's word, it is just as powerful in our mouths as it is in his mouth. When we say it the way that we, he meant it. Not when we're saying it to manipulate people. Not when we're saying it for selfish motives. But when we're declaring God's word for his eternal purpose, it is powerful in our mouths. And when we declare that word, I believe what Isaiah said, it will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. I've got to wrap up. One more passage. I promise, one more passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes 8. Give you a minute because that's not a book you probably go to every day. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. People tell me I preach too fast. I'll slow down here for one second. That's why we archive, so you can go back and you can play them. You know you can actually play YouTube videos at different speeds, faster or slower. So if I preach too fast, go home and put me on slow, and you'll be like, wow, he really is a good preacher. (laughs) (laughs) Then you'll realize why I preach so fast. I got so much that I want to say. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 2. I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. And a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. This is the word of a king. Not just a king. But this leather-bound book contains the word of of the King of Kings and the Lord of all lords, the King of glory. And when you read those red letters, you're reading the word of a king. And I don't want you to dismiss the black letters because the black letters are vital. Old Testament, New Testament, the Gospels, the Gospels, the Prophets, the, whatever you're reading, we need to hold this in regard as the inspired Word of God and understand that we are hearing the decrees of a king. One thing we're going to talk about in our near future is the kingdom. If we can grasp kingdom, it will change the way that we live our lives. Jesus' words are the words of a king. How does the king say we should live morally? We need to know the red letters. You know what Jesus talked about with morality in regards to morality and the holiness that we we ought to be in pursuit of? He said, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. That's what Christ has said about it. That's the call of our king. That's the directive of our king. 
That's a goal. That's a purpose. That's something we are striving for. That's something we are living a life to try to walk in obedience under the command of our king. Those are the words of our king. What does Jesus say about giving? I quoted it earlier. Give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, good, good measure, press down, shaken together, running over. God will cause men to give unto your bosom. Those are red letters. What does that mean to us? How, how do we treat people? What, what does our king have to say about forgiveness? Remember the 70 times 7? What is that, what's the significance of that to us, a people of the kingdom of God? Think about it. What does Jesus teach about marriage? He does. He teaches about marriage. The, the Bible, these are the words of Jesus that go back to the, the book of Genesis where he says he created them male and female. Jesus identifies the genders. Jesus uh, up, upholds marriage. Right? Jesus teaches on divorce. What does Jesus say about it? Those are the words that ought to carry weight for us. Not by the false prophet, not by the teacher, not by what other cultural people, influencers are saying. What did Jesus say about it? Right? What's our regard for politics? You know what Jesus, they, they tried to force Jesus into politics, and you know what his response was? My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would take up their swords and fight. If we could understand that, that our purpose for advancing God's kingdom on planet earth is not a political purpose, and anybody who is teaching you that is deceiving you, because it does not align with the teaching of Jesus Christ. You know, the way that Jesus said his kingdom will be advanced through the proclamation of the word of God. Not on picket lines, not strapping yourself to doors of clinics, not blowing stuff up. All these things done in the name of Jesus because people are self-deceived. Because they, people don't know the words of their real master. And false prophets are filling their heads with deception. Listen. If you know the words of Jesus Christ, this will never happen to you. If you know what Jesus said about it, you will never be deceived. Church, we need to grow up. We need to get rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. We need to be true followers of the one that we call master. Otherwise, we'll be children tossed to and fro. That's the purpose of the church. Wrap up with this thought. In, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about the reason that, that God put the church into order and set leadership into the church. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. He put these things into the, into the church for what? For the equipping of the saints. Right? For the work of ministry. Until the saints of God look like Jesus. That's basically what he says. He says, until we come to the fullness of the stature of the likeness of Jesus Christ. Ministry and leadership in church, the, the preaching of the pulpit, the, the discipleship classes, all leadership, the missionary works, everything that we ought to be doing. What are we doing? We are to go out, the Great Commission, and teach the things that Jesus taught. Not political agendas, not psychology, not pop culture, not all these other things. We are here to declare the kingdom that has come. It's already come. It came through the cross. The kingdom has come. And we're here declaring it. Now, it's going to come in greater measure. He's going to come and he's going to set up his throne. He's going to wipe out all of these people that are exalting themselves and oppressing. and all. It's all going to be brought under his authority one day. But in the meantime, we're here to declare the word of the king. Chad Hayes' words have no power, no authority. But when Chad Hayes stands and declares the word of Jesus... The word of Jesus, where the word of the king is, there is power. Amen. Let's stand together. I, I want to wrap up by saying this. We're about to baptize. They're, they're waiting in the wings. They're ready. I see them back there. We're going to baptize. The call to salvation, the call to follow Jesus is a call to discipleship. There's no magic pill for salvation.
You may have preached a sh- shake, shaken a preacher's hand and he told you you were all right. You may have prayed a prayer, a sinner's prayer of repentance. But I, I, I want to say this. It needs to be said. If it hasn't absolutely, radically transformed your life, you need to take a hard look at that. My wife sang about it a minute ago. He's jealous. He wants all of us. He wants all of us. The good and the bad. Come just as you are. I'm not saying you have to be perfect to follow Jesus. You've got to surrender. And there has to be a willing heart to say, you know what? Today, I determine Jesus is my leader. That's necessary in true salvation, that we come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We hear, I've heard preachers preach about how some people know Jesus as Savior, but they don't know him as Lord. We have to question, do they really know him as Savior if they don't know him as Lord? Because the call to follow Jesus is the call to die to self, to take up your cross. These are the words of Christ. And he says, if you are not born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. If there's not something born of the Spirit on the inside of you, I believe that happens when you repent, when you turn in faith to Christ. I believe there's something born of the Spirit on the inside of you that is transformative. And you, the old things have passed away. It doesn't mean that we're still dealing with a sinful nature, but we now have a spirit man living on the inside of us that as we grow in that, it revolutionizes our life. Does that make sense? So I said that to say this again, that the call to follow Jesus is a call to discipleship. It's a call to submit not to some church, not to submit to some preacher, not to submit to some denomination. It's a call to follow the man who spoke those red words. To follow Christ himself and to be obedient to his teachings. That, that's the command that I, as a minister of the gospel, have been given. Go and, and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching them to obey these things. The declaration of the word of God is a call to obedience to the word. Listen, and I want to say this. If you're not saved, if you don't know the Lord, I want you to know Jesus today. Don't leave this place. I want you to make a commitment to be a follower of Christ. I want you to turn your life. I want you to just simply say, I give up. You will probably mess up again today or this week. But just simply saying, I give up. If you need to do that, you can walk the altar right now. You can come see me. You can get a hold of me after church. Doesn't matter where. You can get saved in an altar, you can get saved in the foyer, you can get saved out in the parking lot or at your house. But get saved. Commit your life to Jesus. Don't leave it in jeopardy. Don't leave it in doubt. I, I believe in blessed assurance. I believe that when we are saved, we know that we know that we are know that when we depart from this world, to be absent from this body is to be present with him. We can have the blessed assurance when we have truly put our hope and faith, confidence our loyalty and allegiance in Jesus Christ. I believe that with everything in me. Amen.